and welcome to a brand new podcast, Off the Record, with myself, Keith Jackson, and my good colleague and friend, David McCarthy. Um, every week from now, we'll be looking to sit down with someone that you'll probably know very well and talk about some of the big issues. But really, Off the Record means the story behind the stories. You might be familiar with the person, you might be familiar with the story, but we're going to take you in behind it, the story behind the story, a dig deep into the good stuff, the Off the Record stuff. And... We thought we'd set ourselves a low bar on our first um, podcast, so keep the guest to a sort of a, a decent standard, but nothing too spectacular. Just the 55 caps, just the seven league cups, 10 league titles, six Scottish cups. Uh, and now the first manager to take Fleetwood Town into the fifth round of the FA Cup in 115 years. Scott Brown, not a bad CV. <laughs> <laughs> Could always be better, Jacqueline. Could always be better, pal. Listen, that, that, it was just a couple of nights ago you got that result against Sheffield Wednesday. You must be an absolute cloud now. Yeah, the, the lads done really well. And the performance levels the last couple of weeks have maybe dropped, but uh, it was exceptional from start to finish from the lads. And No, we, we managed to keep a clean sheet. We scored the goal. and That, that, that was miles better and more of what we expect of the lads as well. And We controlled the game really well and Sheffield are a good teammate, so for us to come up against a team that's not been defeated since October and uh, managed to be, beat them at home and match them at home as well is, is huge for this club. How did that feel in comparison to like it, you know, your kind of success as a player? How, how different is it when you're a manager and you achieve something like you achieved last night or the other night, sorry? It's totally different because you get caught up in every single moment when you're involved in a game and you can affect it, but standing at the sidelines, there's not much you can affect. You can have your talk before the game, you can have your half-time team talk and you can give a couple of notes to a few players here and there, but I put a lot of demands on the lads and they performed and that was the main thing. I mean, it's been a hard last three weeks probably we've lost the last three games so for them to bounce back with a, a performance like that against um, Chef Wed and to go into the fifth round for the, this club in the first time in their history is huge and it shows we are going the right way the league forum has to improve but to get up to that uh, it's the first time we've been in the fourth round and then it's the first time we've been in the fifth round as well and we, we've played against some good clubs as well so it's not uh, as in like, we just had buys getting through we've played against some Good quality clubs. You're all very polished now, Bruno. You're actually starting to speak like a manager. <laughs> you said I'm talking tight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We've had Bill McMurdo on you. He's 10 times as well. It's a long way, Bruno. See, to be fair, what's that? May 2003, you made your debut for Hibs as a player. Uh, so that's 20 years ago. I was just looking it up. Do, do you remember it? Um, it was against Aberdeen at home. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You were you were seventeen. I was on the bench. Gary Gary O'Connor and Tam McManus got injured, and me and Dixie have came on, and I came on as a striker. And Dixie scored two. I hit the crossbar with a header. Uh, set for that, I can't remember much else. Three, <laughs> three assists. <laughs> three assists. I got three assists. You did, die. That must have been three tackles. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I was high up the park, Jacko. Was that, was that, the red? that was when I was high up the park. I thought I was a striker at one point in time, but 
I quickly realised uh, when Bobby says I couldn't score, it was it was time for me to get back to park. <laughs> and was that back in the days of the, the kind of red Mahican? Were you wearing that at the time? Or? No, that was before the red Mohawk day. That was way before that. Uh, the, the red Mohawk was cup final day. And it was a couple of days beforehand, Bobby Williamson says to us, right, no daft haircuts, lads. <laughs> so you can imagine being 18 year old, myself and Kevin Thompson, two of us went to hairdressers and I end up with a red mohawk and he ends up with blonde highlights everywhere. So I would say it didn't go down too well. What did he say to you? I wasn't really happy when I walked on the bus uh, sporting this red mohawk. And it, it, it didn't help that we got beat as well. So. Uh, you learn for your mistakes, shall I say, Jacko? <laughs> and I've made a few. That that must have been a that must have been a big disappointment because I think I'm right in saying that there's no beat Rangers and Celtic on the way to that final, and then you lost it to Livingston. We beat Rangers on penalties. Um, I can't remember the result against Celtic. Um, we, the semi-final was at, at Hamden against Rangers, and somehow I've scored a penalty. Closes went to jump high and I've almost miskicked it into the ground and it's rolled underneath him. <laughs> uh, celebrated like there was no tomorrow as well. Uh, and then everyone's put us favourites, 40,000 Hibs fans or whatever it was, uh, went to Hamden, incredible atmosphere and I think it was maybe the first five, ten minutes. Uh, there was a diag played over the top and offered a chance, one-on-one -on -one with a goalie and tried to lift it over him, I think I've hit against him. Then they've ended up winning the game and like, we were huge favourites and we had a good team at the time we were young very inexperienced and that's what maybe cost us just that little bit The thing is Bruni that I often hear it said when you're young you think that these cup finals are going to come around every five minutes and a lot of players it never happens again you managed to get back to another few didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I managed to get back to one I think it was maybe a year or two later with Hibs and we managed to get to the I think it was 2007 cup final and John Collins was the manager and we managed to win it that time. Came back, got open top bus, going all the way around the streets in Edinburgh. And it was exceptional because you, you never experienced that and you never dream of that when you're a young kid. And you just, I think after the first one, we were all hurting and we wanted to get back there. We wanted to win it and especially for all the Hibs fans that turned up on the day. So for us to go and then play against Kilmarnock and I think it was 5-2, we beat them. And... The lads played exceptional that day. We were Stevenson was a very, very, very young. Like we were young at the time, but it was his pretty much first season coming into the team, and he got man of the match. Played exceptional. He was in the middle of the park, and no, it was it was, it was a good bunch of lads, and we all came through at the same time. We were similar ages, and we, we just enjoyed playing football. And it was like playing football with your mates in the street. And we had a couple of older, experienced lads as well. You might not have been there. Because it was just a few months before all that that everything blew up, didn't it? That that you know there was the chance for you to leave. The situation with you and Kevin Thompson. There was the problems with John Collins. It was a it was a, it was a very eventful few months. <laughs> that that was. You're young. You're keen. You want to go and play at the highest level possible, and you see a lot of clubs coming in for you. And obviously, your eyes start to light up and it's part and parcel of the game you want to play the, the highest level you possibly can as a player and for me I was lucky enough I managed to stay for an extra six months I stayed I won the trophy and 
then ended up going to Celtic that, that following season. So everything worked out quite well for me at the time. It's funny, Brian, because throughout this chat, we'll, we'll probably refer to three or four sliding doors moments in your career. That was definitely <laughs> one of them, wasn't it? That was definitely one of them, shall we say. The, the relationship with, with John Collins, I know we've talked about it before, but it, it seemed like a very difficult thing for, for young boys. And bear in mind, these are all young teenage kids at the time coming through it. It must have been really difficult to deal with it. It felt from the outside looking in all a bit strange. Yeah. See, growing up watching France 98, now, John was one of my heroes. Yeah. Uh, you looked at him, played top league, played top quality teams as well. And you, you wanted to look up to him, you wanted to show that, yeah, I was just as good as anybody. And he's played it against top quality players. So, no, for, for us to have a manager coming in like John, it was obviously huge at the time. But I think John probably came in at the wrong time. Because it was a Tony Mowbray's team he brought us all through. And we all wanted to leave at the time. So it became a, it must have been a hard situation for him as, as much as it was for us. Um, and going forward to that and yeah I did leave at the end of the season we, we won a trophy which was fantastic Tom left just beforehand we had Deeks and Gaz leaving the season before that Whits left at the same time as me Stephen Fletcher just left after that we had oh, there's so many people at that time coming through and you, you just see as like Hibs was a great club for us and I had a great relationship and I still do with everyone at Hibs as well which which is huge because you always remember your first your first crush, shall we say. And you come through, they give you that opportunity. And for me, I loved every single moment. I loved the fans. I loved playing in front of the 15,000, 16,000 that were there. But then I was... I think before you went to... Sorry, Keith. I just want to say, before you went yeah. to Celtic, you did have the chance to, to go to Reading, I think, who were an EPL team at the time. That never happened. Um, or, you know, when you look back on that, when you, you think about it, if you had gone there, the whole Celtic thing probably wouldn't have happened. It's, it's, it's crazy how things work out, isn't it? Yeah, I had the chance to go to a couple of teams down in England just before it as well. And then, obviously, Celtic, Rangers. I spoke to Gareth Southgate as well. I spoke to Redden. I spoke to a few other clubs once the bids got accepted. And for me, it was, it was a no-brainer at the time. And I had a huge opportunity to go to the biggest club in Scotland. And I jumped at that opportunity. Brian, just rewinding a bit, the, the stuff that you experienced with, with John Collins it felt a bit humiliating and all that. Are these things that you store now that you're a manager and think, because you can learn off everybody how, how to do things in a way that you like and how not to do things. Is that one of these things that, that sticks with you and you think, I'll never put you know players yeah, in the same sort of situation? Yeah, I would never act the problem the way I did. Um, you, you grow up, you learn not to kill off boundaries with people and for me I never had a grudge with anybody because for me going back John ended up becoming my assistant manager we got him really well together and if I seen John now I'd still speak to him so he, the two of us we never really held a grudge and I think he probably knew I wanted to leave at the same time and he wanted to hold the team together as long as he possibly could which every manager probably would when you see what the young lads were doing at the time and we did have a good bunch of lads and it was a great dressing room and that's what everyone wanted to hold together and they, they just wanted to see how far that could go but at the same time we've seen one person going, we've seen two going, we've seen three going and everybody sees the opportunity to go up to a, a different club, they want to have that stepping stone and for me there's, 
there's not a better place to start than uh, than it was at Hibs. Yeah, and so, so see, as far as, uh, sorry, carry on. I was going to say the next sliding doors moment, isn't it? You're you're in a car going to Celtic, and you've got Walter Smith and Alan McCoy on the phone trying to get you going to the other side of the city. <laughs> can, can you recall that journey? Yeah, good. Yeah, I was I was actually sitting in a a, a house with an agent, and um, we're just chilling, and obviously. Um, both bids have been accepted, so it was up to me to where I was going to going to go. So um, I went and met Walter. I went and met Ali that I knew from Scotland and that I got on really well with. And uh, I knew Tommy obviously we'd been in Scotland as well. So I, I went to go and meet uh, Rangers. I, I went and met them, spoke to them, sat down, chilled, and then I was getting text messages for Tommy saying, "Come on, me man, you know the place to go. You know where your heart belongs. I'll look after you. Me and you got the same kind of banter." Blah, 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 the usual stuff with Tommy. And then I went to go and meet Celtic down in London and I was getting the same stuff with Coisty. So it was like, you, you were jumping in between two and there are two great guys in, in, in football, two good coaches as well. And like, I, I still get on well with Coisty now when I speak to him. And, but for me, as soon as I went down, I spoke to Gordon, I spoke to Peter, I spoke to Tommy and I, I knew there was only one place that I wanted to go. And the way they treated me and the way, the way they see me playing in the team and what they expected me for the next four or five years of my contract. And Gordon set demands on me right away, told me how to go and play different positions. He says, you're not just going to run about like a headless case, we man. He says, I'm going to turn you into a more holding midfielder, attacking midfielder, whatever you want to call it. But he says, you've not got a free role like what you did at Hibs. He was like, you're going to understand the game, you're going to learn the game as well. So for me to get that understanding from a top quality player that Gordon was, and a good manager as, as well. It meant a lot. But were Rangers still not trying to get you as you were, you know, on your way to sign? It was, it was right up to the, the last minute, didn't it? Yeah, it was kind of going between both. And uh, that's what agents do. They, they obviously play both clubs off each other. But I'd already told my agent at the time that where I was going, what I wanted to do. So uh, that decision was all on me. It was never on any anything else. Wasn't a bad decision. I suppose there might have been a there might have been a temptation. <laughs> and there might have been a temptation for you just to to stick around with, with Tomo, who was obviously one of your best mates, wasn't he? And you know, when the two of you could have ended up playing that Rangers midfield together. I know. Well, Tomo and Wits both went to Rangers, and uh, I, I jumped to the other side for a little bit of banter, as I usually do. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but the, the, the thing is, they they make their own decisions and. But no matter what happens we're still great mates after the games we jumped in each other's car we went home we went away with Scotland and a lot of people never understood that but like a lot of people never grew up with how we grew up together playing with each other for six, seven years at a time being best mates mm -hmm. staying in hotels together staying in houses together as well so uh, you've got to have that understanding as well that yeah we fought like cat and mouse for 90 minutes well me and Tom did I never got near Wits because he was too far up the park <laughs> Uh, but after that it was like yeah you want to lose he took his hand we never spoke before the game we were just speaking about that earlier like a few of the lads in here never really understood how like we never spoke we never communicated two or three days before it and then after the game we were just jumping each other's calm and yeah it was like well done you've won you've deserved it or I had the bragging rights or he had the bragging rights one or other mm -hmm. I remember so, seeing I mean, that a few years back obviously 
Kloss and Paul Lambert were best pals and they ended up at each other's throat in one of the games at Ibrox, like literally each other's throats. But I don't remember, there was never any incident with you and Tom or anything like that, was there? Um, you know, I'm sure you were ultra competitive with each other, but it never crossed the line, did it? No, I don't think it did, no. Like, the two of us would hold back in a tackle together. The two of us would obviously not speak to each other, you'd want to wind each other up, you'd want to get on the ball, you'd want to show you were a better player than what your mate was, and at the end of the day, you wanted to show that you had that winning desire as well, but I don't think we've ever taken it too far, and it was probably afterwards, once once we got, uh, after the result, once we went up the tunnel, we came back out, and yeah, there was a wee hug, there was a, sorry about that one, that, that, that was maybe a wee bit later, a bit nasty, but that, that was about it. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, so you, you start off, and, you know, you straight into winning ways. You obviously went through a, a, a really difficult time off the field, Bruni, as, as you know, I think in the, the first 18 months at Celtic. Do you look back upon that as as, as something that built character building for you or a, t- a test of strength that, that you had to come through uh, just to keep your head straight, I guess, at the time? Yeah, there was... Yeah, my form went up and down and that was understandable at the time because of personal reasons, but for me, uh, the club were exceptional. Peter Lawwell was brilliant. And there's not a lot of people that would get phone calls to the CEO to ask how you are, how you're doing, how the family's doing and stuff like that. And Tommy was going through the exact same. Mm-hmm. So Tommy was exceptional. And to this day, Tommy passed away and he still sent off with my sister Flowers. And they arrived and the day Tommy died. So it shows yeah. you what kind of man he was as well. And I think really, you look, you look back and it shows you I made the right decision. I came to a huge family club that want the best, not just for you on the pitch, but also away from it as well. And the decision to come to Celtic was, after that 18 month, was a no-brainer for myself because the way they looked after my family, the way they looked after me with days off, and probably the bond between me and Gordon probably got a lot, a lot stronger as well. And from then, we still speak now, and that shows you what kind of character he is. You're just a young boy at the time, though, Bruni. How, how difficult was it for you to keep your head screwed on? Because I remember having a conversation with you. There was a, a reporter from a, a newspaper outside your sister's house at the time, a flat. You know, deeply personal moments. I, I remember you were you got in your car and you, you shot up the road to confront that situation. And I, I think we were speaking at the time, and I was, you know, saying to you, you know, watch this, you need to kind of, Calm down. Your, your head must be all over the place at, at moments like that. How, how difficult is that for a young guy? Because you're a human being. Yes, you're at Celtic. Yes, you're a, a young upcoming football player. But, you know, I, I can only imagine that, the, the, you know, how difficult I, I that has to be to deal with. I think for me, it was like more, yeah, they can come and do what they want to me and stuff like that, but never like something to my, my sister. She never asked for any of this. She never asked for me to be a footballer, to be in the public eye and stuff like that. So we wanted her personal space and they wouldn't give her it. And that, that's the hard, hardest thing to see. And it, it just shows you people, some people have got no decency whatsoever. They just want a story. They just want to get in, in there. They want to know everything. So I mean, that, that, that's the difference in, between yourselves and other people as well. And me going forward and the aspect to you because of those situations and going back the way as well. I mean, I spoke to Peter, I phoned Peter as soon as I found out that there was somebody up there and he, he dealt with the whole situation and 
It was like, you know what to do, you stay calm, stay focused. It was like, we'll deal with the situation, we'll deal with whatever's happening in the background, just go and pick your sister up and bring her back down the road and that'll be it. So, no, it, it, it was good that way. And you know that a club's got your back when that happens. Yeah. In, in many ways, I'm guessing on your part, after mm-hmm. everything you went through back then, there was a sort of determination to repay Celtic and, and, and Peter and Gordon for for the support that they'd given you. Yeah, not even just like that two or three years. And I had the chance to move on when I was at Celtic as well. And I had a couple of chances to go down England to Tottenham to Newcastle as well. And see, because of what the club done for me in that time of need, I'll always hold that in huge high regard. And that's what means more to me than anything. And they looked after me in a, a hard time. So for me to jump ship, it, it, was, never, it was never in question. And yet, another sliding doors moment, 2009. <laughs> yeah, end of 2008, you'll remember. Tony Mowbray's in charge and just leading it in the build up to Christmas, I think it was. I think we had a conversation and you uh, you had felt at that point that, you know, Tony Mowbray had told you to find a new club in the January window. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about sliding door moments. I mean, how do you look back on that period in, in can you can you get your head around it now? Because it was difficult to understand what was going on at the time. Yeah, I understand you managers come in, new managers want the players they want in, but uh, I was there to prove a point. As soon as the manager says to me, "Yeah, you can leave," yeah, that was me. Yeah, still I can. I'll make. I'll still be here. I'll be playing week in week out. And then at the end of the window, somehow I ended up becoming captain. <laughs> so I, I don't know how that, that really works, but it, it happens and it's incredible moments like that that change probably because, yeah, I was maybe not playing the best. Peter Grant says he'll drive me anywhere and that, that's one thing that I'll never, that I'll never regret, that's for sure. And, uh, I, I stayed, I fought for my place and I, I showed everybody that, yeah, I was worthy fighting for my place and I deserved to be in the start of my living and I don't remember Tony dropping me that much. No, uh, I came back from injury. I came on, got capped, and saying I played left back. So uh, <laughs> maybe they didn't fancy me as a centre midfielder, but I thought my my energy was great at left back. You know, even more he... weird the fact that he was your your manager at Hibs as you were breaking through as well. And you know, we obviously knew what you could bring to the team, but he still, for some reason, didn't seem to want you to be there. Yeah. As I say, he maybe wanted to bring his own people in that he played with down the road or stuff. But I really thought he could get better at Celtic, which, which is fine. It never really bothered me. And like a lot of managers came in and probably didn't fancy me at the time, but I stayed there a lot longer than most managers did. And I stayed there just because of my willingness to work hard and to improve and to, to learn the way they want to play as well. Because my way is not always right. I need to learn how to become a better player for the manager that comes in, do what he wants me to do. And, make the team better and whether it is to make the lads better, to cheer them up, to be a better person in the dressing room, to if I'm not playing, make sure you're still there support the lads and I would do whatever it had taken just to make the team better. I remember back then when we were trying to get head round everything that was going on and it did seem that obviously I, I wrote a story at the time that, that Mowbray had said that you should find a new club in the January. The armband thing at Rugby Park that night, that almost felt as if because I think the club denied that there was anything really happening, any truth in that story. And it felt to me as if Mowbray was making a point of saying, I see, none of this was true. I'm even giving them the armband. You didn't even know you were going to get the armband, did you? 
I think he probably offered it to ten other people. But I was the I was the probably <laughs> the only one that says I at the time. But, but no, it's like small things that I like, yeah, I'll be so appreciative to Tony for giving me that armband, whether he, he wanted to give me it or not. But uh, it gave me the opportunity to maybe grow up a little bit, to become more of a man, to become a proper leader on the park and, and in the dressing room as well because everyone knew what I was. I was full of energy, energetic. I was a bit wild in the dressing room, but good batter. But as soon as it came on that that white line, as soon as I went over that, I was 100% serious and I, I want to win. And no matter what, I always wanted to win, whether it was in training or in games. And it was, it's just in bolt and that's what I wanted to do. And yeah, I did get annoyed if I got beat. Uh, but I think that's the best part about me because I, I never really wanted to get beat. I couldn't accept getting beat. And I'm similar as, as a manager, to be fair. I, I don't like getting beat as well. And we've just been beat three in a row and we managed to bounce back and get to the top team in the, in the league. So for me, you've got to have those moments that trust, trust our lads now. And it's not always about me now. Mm. But that, that back then it was all about you, and that was the making of you, wasn't it? That was the th- that was the moment that everything changed that night at Rugby Park. You're given the armband for the first time. I think a few days later, it was confirmed that you were going to keep the armband, and it, then a whole new story is written. I mean, that you you go on to become the se- the most successful Celtic captain of all time. It's just an incredible twist in the story, wasn't it? It shows you there's always going to be little speed bumps, no matter what. Not just players going to be plain sailing. You can look at the top players in the world as well. Everyone thought Messi was always going to stay at Barcelona. And somehow he ends up leaving the club. And it, it, these things happen. You can't write everything in the stars. And you can't always think your first choice on the team. Speaking. Whether I was or I wasn't, I had to work to earn my place. And I made sure I worked every day. I made sure I was as fit as I possibly could. And if we brought another midfielder in, I would work harder. I would make sure I would had more touches of the ball than him, I scored more than him, I won more tackles, uh, my distance was higher in the GPS, I had higher intensity, and I never really gave a manager an excuse to drop me. Was that was that a direct lesson from, from that, that you came so close to leaving Celtic, you were never going to allow that to happen again, on your terms? Yeah, 100%. I, I think the next step was like Lenny coming in, and obviously knowing Lenny from... Tony's time being there as well. Lenny comes in and it's a new manager again. And then I've got to start all the way around again. I've got to make sure that I'm ready to go. And I'll do whatever tactics, whatever shape, style, formation he wants to play. And I'll back it up to the lads as well. And then I just try and help whatever manager comes in just to kind of slowly find his feet as well. Because that's a captain's job. You should be trying to help it your manager out. You should never really be trying to kill your manager off at every opportunity. And I, I, I've learned that. <laughs> yeah. See, to fast forward 2011, Ibrox, you've scored the goal, you've turned and you've done the celebration that is now in a thousand, maybe 10,000 t-shirts um, <laughs> in front of El yeah, I've got nothing good for that, by the way. <laughs> you should have been getting royalties for that. That's what you should have been getting. But, but that, I mean, I take it it was a completely and utterly spur of the moment thing because the two of you were probably having a ding dong right through the game. But have you been surprised at how iconic that image became? I think it was more shock for the Celtic fans that I actually scored with my left foot. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the celebration. They couldn't believe it either. 
but us going down to 10 men and I think it was more Wallow going up the park and crossing it to our teammate and then me scoring. That was that was definitely the chop that they had. And, <laughs> Two mad things. Yeah, so Wallow overlapped me. That never really happened that much. And him getting down the line, he ends up zinging the ball. I think he hits the rain just where to start with. Comes back and somehow he finds me at the edge of the box. And I've managed to flip it in past Greg's a faraway corner. And it's not often my left foot really works, but it, it, it did that day. And that guy was just standing in front of me at the right time. So it couldn't have worked any better. But still devastated. I've not ran, I've not taken my top off. I've just stood and put my arms up and I got a yellow. That's bad refereeing that, by the way. You got a yellow card, guy. Uh, but I remember coming down because you joined Scotland after that game. There was a Scotland the Scotland squad was getting together, and I I drove down to see you, and you gave us a, a great line. Did a wee interview with you in the car. <laughs> I think it was the, the the quote was, "It's the best booking I've had in my life." To be fair, it was. I've had a few of them now. <laughs> but the, the, you you then that sort of a spiky rivalry that you had with you it didn't last too long, obviously, but it was fun while it lasted. Um, in latter years, in the later years at Celtic, you had the same sort of thing going on with Morelos. It was similar. <laughs> to be fair, I won that one as well. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I like to try and pick and choose my battles quite well. And Morelos is a good player, and, and so was Duke. And I would always try and get in their head and try and switch them off and try and let them hopefully see that I'm a, I'm a decent player and then either flip the switch, get a red, or me control the game. And that, that's what my mentality was. It was like to try and get in their head early doors. And it, yeah, did it work now and then, yeah. But to be fair, they, they tried to give it back as well. And you don't mind that. You want you want to see that rivalry on the park as well, and especially in a Rangers Celtic game as well. That, that's what you want to see. You want to see somebody getting the better of others. And uh, for me, I always wanted to get the better. And I'd always try and wind them up. I'd try and get on the ball. And, pull them in a little bit, pull them out of position. And that, that's what my game was. It was to try and slowly get into people. and But also at the same time, it was to dictate play as well. And not, not to get what my job is on the park. It was to try and make sure I win the ball back, give it to the, give it to the 10 better players on the park. <laughs> and uh, and then just back it up. And the latest part of my career, and I got deeper and deeper. And it, it, I started to find a new role. I ended up playing in between the two centre-halves and then Brendan came in. I, I managed to dictate play from there. I could step in, I could play ball into a false fullback, and it, it was just a new style that I learned when Brendan came in because I, I wasn't getting any younger, shall I say. So, I, I mean, about that, you so you, you, obviously Neil Lennon, then there was the, the Ronnie Dyla years, which would have been interesting, another new manager that you had to impress. Don't think he was too impressed with your eating habits in the canteen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that fast man chicken must have been good. <laughs> did, did, did he not ban tomato ketchup and all that? Was that not one of the things? No, Cheese he did a high fat diet. So, like, it, it, it became different. So, like, pastas and chickens and all that before games. And he believed that you, you could, him and his uh, coach staff at the time, uh, who he brought in believed that you could have this high fat diet and you can still maintain for 90 minutes but, but for us it, 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 we kind of died to death after 70 minutes and if the game wasn't wrapped up 2 or 3 nothing, then we, we struggled and I think that was due to us not having the energy in our bodies as in the, the carbs lying there 
having pastas and stuff like that. So that was kind of hard to take. But like you try and you try and go on with the manager and try and follow the way he wants to go. And yeah, yeah, did I try and help him out as much as possible? Because yeah, uh, did it probably benefit me? Probably not. So <laughs> I ended up getting more injuries then than probably what I ever have. So. Scott, at that time, during Dallas time and, and whatnot, that Rangers were out of the, the top league for, like, as we all know, three or four years. In a way, did, did you miss that? Did you miss the intensity of that rivalry when it wasn't there? Yeah, um, 100%. You miss playing against them and you miss like, coming up against players that think they can win the league and did I enjoy seeing them go down? Yeah, I did. Of course I did. But <laughs> at the same time, you, you, you didn't want to see them go down for that long. You wanted them to come back up. But for me, you, you could only play the team in front of us and Aberdeen were the next best team. And they gave us a run for our money some seasons as well. And Aberdeen had a good team underneath Derek as well. And they were, they were solid. They were hard to beat. They had people like Donny, they had Kenny, they had Graham Shinney, they had <coughs> Ash Taylor playing as well. Joe Lewis and goals. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they had a good team. Good team at the time. But you never get bored of keeping on winning, obviously. Didn't matter. <laughs> you can never get too bored of that. That's one good thing. <laughs> then, then I think the introduction of Brendan Rogers lights another fire under you, doesn't it? That's that's another fresh start for you, another manager to impress. And I think that's everyone seemed to go to a different level at that point, Bruno, am I right? Yeah, Brendan is huge on body parts and that you look well, but also you can maintain for 90 minutes. The training changed hugely, and the tempo went up the way. The quality that he was bringing in went up the way as well. And when I first met Brendan, it was down in his house, and he asked me how long I think I could play for. And I was just coming back from about maybe a couple of hamstring injuries, or I think it was a hamstring and an ankle injury. And I was like, oh, if I get another two good years, Gaff, I'll be extremely happy. And I was 30 at the time. I was thinking, off, oh, I get to 30. And he was like, look, I know you're a runner, I know you're fit, but just make sure that you come in, you want to dictate play. And the way Brendan started setting up and his tactics and his philosophy of football was, was a delight. It was, it was great for me as well because the pivot in the middle of the park dictated play. It dictated how the, the team moved, how the team flowed together and how I held the team together as well at times. So, it, it was good for me to see different insights from different managers throughout my whole career. And you, you pick and choose a lot from every single one of them. And even Ronnie, even Tony, even John back in the day, you, you pick everybody's brains and you try and, like, I wrote everything down from when I was playing as in training sessions under John, under Bobby Williamson and stuff like that. So you always try and learn as much as you possibly can. And, I hope, I hope in my term, time here I can keep learning as well. And you never know, maybe in a couple of years' time, a few of the lads maybe learned a, a good training session or at least a few Scottish phrases anyway from it. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's funny because uh, because there's, you know, you sometimes I think played up to the perception that you were this daft boy. But you clearly might have been saying that to the world that, you know, I'm just a daft boy that has a great time in the dressing room. But if you, you can be in here and you for 90 minutes when you go in that field. <laughs> and exactly. I, I no, I, I, absolutely. But what I mean is that away from that, though, you're obviously studying the game, you're studying your manager's techniques, you're making notes. So you've been building up to this moment as a manager for the first time for, for how long? Maybe 10 years? 15 years? 
I always knew I wanted to stay in football, and for me to stay in football, you have to go and try and learn it as much as you possibly can. And for me, having a career at Celtic and Hibs and Aberdeen, you've got to learn from these managers. And if I was just sitting there and not taking anything in, turning up to training, and then just walking away thinking, yeah, I didn't enjoy that or I enjoyed that. You've got to, like, there's things that probably any manager done that I had that I maybe didn't enjoy, but I thought that was effective at the time. That worked. And then we'd work on shape, we'd work on structure of the team, and you'd be like, right, now I see how that works. Then I, I'm still trying to tell these lads now what I've learned from maybe Lenny at the time or Gordon at the time or Brendan and, and working in it in my way. And it's not exactly the exact same way as they would maybe have done it, but there's a, there's a small, small percentage that they've helped me and, and then I could put my own spin to it as well. The thing is, Bernie, the, the, the transition from Ronnie Dyler, which from the outside looking in seemed to be all a bit chaotic, right? And then in comes Brendan Rodgers, and he is the polished, professional, you know, everything's on point. That must have been a real eye-opener behind the scenes, how things were, a little bit chaotic. And I know that various players were going to see their own medical professionals because they weren't happy with treatment. And everyone seemed like a fairly unhappy camp. And all of a sudden, it changes overnight. I mean, that must have been something to witness from the inside. I think you look at Brendan and you look at his career that he's had as a manager and he was at Liverpool, he came second in the league, he was so close not to win the league for the first time in many years at Liverpool. And he's worked with top, top quality players and world-class players, shall I say. And <laughs> if I wasn't to listen to Brendan, I'm never going to listen to anybody. And he's been through it all, he understands what it takes to be a top quality player to prolong your career as well. And the things he sat me down and told me when I first met him, I was like, Blown away, started showing me training uh, diagrams, sessions, and saying, This is what we'll be doing, this is how we'll be working, this is what I expect from you, distance wise, high intensity in games. And never really been like before GPS, but yeah, before GPS, I mean, oh, I've done 12 and a half, okay, well done. But it's about your, the distance that you cover, the high intensity stuff, and that also the shape, the team was huge, and it wasn't you just go chasing the ball and it's a structure behind the ball as well mm-hmm. and walking teams in and you, you've got to learn that from top managers because it was at Swansea doing a fantastic job then he went to Liverpool and done an even better job as well and for me I was going to go to Celtic and try and last as long as I possibly could when he was there because I knew he, going down the line I'm going to pick his brains I'm going to phone him up and ask him for help and I've done that and I, I think that's my first job, and I'm not ashamed to ask that, but yeah, I've spoke to Lenny, I've spoke to Gordon, I've spoke to Brendan, and it's a big step for me going from not playing football straight into, uh, sorry, from playing football going straight into managing and only having four or five months out of it as well. So these guys were all helping you prepare, you know, and help you through this FA Cup run as well? Have you have you been picking their brains throughout it? To be fair, I've picked Brendan's brains a lot. I'm always chatting to Lenny as well, and I've talked to Gordon quite a lot too. So, no, it's it's small like things that they might help me with that I maybe don't see or I maybe don't think of as well. And I've got good coaching staff here as well. That Baz has been here for a long time. We've got a great goalkeeping coach as well. I've got bits here, so but for me, four of us are looking at four different angles. So that kind of helps, and it's not always I'm not always going to say I'm right, but at the end of the day, I've got the, the last decision. 
Were you frustrated well, you made... that at Aberdeen that you never get a chance really to, to dip your toe properly into the coaching side? Or I know you were assistant manager on that, but you know all that happened and well, fairly abruptly, you you suddenly you, you, you weren't there. Was that a frustration for you? Yeah, I went to Aberdeen for learn as well, and he just been in that, that that room every day with Glassie and Alan and and Henry. It, it was good. It was a great learning curve for me because you understand mm-hmm. what the work is, what the hours is, and it's not turning up at half past nine in the morning and leaving at half past twelve and thinking what a day that's been. And the lads are in it half seven in the morning. They're not leaving till six o'clock at night, watching mm-hmm. games, watching videos, setting up training sessions and that and. Yeah, I thought I could set up a training session and I would just write it down. And but then you, you've got to start thinking that's that's the first phase. How does the second phase go on to this? And how's your third phase coming to it? And then you've got to decide on how you're going to take the session, what part of the session you're going to take, how you're going to work on the field defence, what what the purpose of the session yeah. is as well. So you, you've got to start like properly thinking into detail as well. And to be fair on myself and Stephen and Baz, and we all take responsibility. We all dive in and. We all take part of the session as well, and we all have a, an input in that session too. Do you do, do you look back with any regret, Bruni, on making that decision? So obviously, where are we now? Two thousand twenty-one. You've decided cards on the table. You're going to leave Celtic. No, you don't I regret don't it because tell you why I made that decision. Hmm. Don't I tell you why I made that decision? I already made it at the start of the season. So I either won ten or I lost ten. Mm-hmm. It was already in my head. Um, as soon as we lost 10 and, and, and you wasn't going to get there, then that was already in my head to go and do something else. Was it, whether it was to go abroad, I had the opportunity to go to Australia and America beforehand. But at this time, it worked perfect because working with Glassy, it had playing with Glassy, kept in contact with him the whole time. And then him getting the opportunity to go to Aberdeen, me getting the chance to learn. And, but still, I thought, yeah, I could maybe help out and play a little bit, but I ended up playing quite a lot of the games and uh, still enjoyed it and still thought I could compete quite well. I just never really could compete quite well going out wide and then ended up playing uh, sweeper as well. So it, it was good and I, I started to enjoy football again, which was a, was a good thing after obviously losing the 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the reason I say the is... was that last season? Yeah, it was always going to be tough. No fans. But... That's probably the hardest thing about football at that time. And you were in about three, five different sessions, and you didn't know when football was going to start again. You had to train in ones and twos, and that was as a football player, the whole part of the football experience is to be in a dressing room with teammates, to get to know your teammates and the new teammates that you were bringing in. They were in different dressing rooms. You never really spoke to them. You went out in training ground, and they were training over on one side. Doing 2v2s, we were having to go over on our side with 2v2s and once we did come together, uh, it was like three months down the line and the Parley properly spoke, which was always going to be a hard thing. And then absolutely playing games. Mad, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah, mad. Yeah, playing it, games, yeah. but somehow in the games we're allowed to put uh, 12 people in a dressing room at a time, which was, uh, <laughs> was wild. But they're playing yeah, games in empty stadiums as well, Bruni. You know, it's the, the empty stadiums... I guess what you're saying is when you went back to Aberdeen, everyone started to feel at least a little bit more normal again because that must have been like a really surreal. It was surreal for everybody, but yeah, and I think for Celtic to play in front of sixty thousand fans to have that experience to, to thrive off as well, and 
I enjoyed playing in front of the fans. I enjoyed being the Parkman villain. I enjoyed having their, them having my back. And even when we went away from home, we had more fans than most. So when you go from playing in front of 60,000 to playing in front of two stewards that are standing behind each goal, it's like you might as well play down the Sunday league game with your mates. And it, the intensity drops. And it dropped throughout, even watching the Premier League and watching Champions League games and stuff like that, it all dropped the intensity because the fans back you and they push you on, they spur you on and that, that, that was one thing, you, you can't have a huge freedom that and no fans and the fans make, make make the game and they're the ones that, as I say, they spur us on, they make the environment and they make it that hard place to go. was it for you the first time that you had to go and play against Celtic, having experienced everything that you've experienced there and as you said you know been adored by those 60,000 fans what was that like? It was weird there was a new manager in place anyway so I, I didn't know the manager at the time uh, obviously still, still knew most of the lads but no it was definitely weird and the worst thing was walking into Celtic Park knowing everyone's names speaking to them all and like trying to chat away saying oh I've not seen you in about six months then having to go into the change rooms and taking a right instead of taking a left was a killer. And uh, then walking down the tunnel and then going right instead of going left as well was, a, was another killer as well. I've never really warmed up on that side of the park for 15 years, so uh, it, it, it was hard to take. But no, it was, it was my decision at the end of the day. Celtic did offer me uh, another contract, but as I say, I don't think it's quite right. Me just staying there because of what I've done in the past there's a reason it's in the past it's because I, I'm a has-been now and uh, I don't like to dwell on what I've done I'm not one for that I don't keep too many souvenirs uh, yeah, I played at Celtic for 14 years and loved every single moment of it will I love to go back and watch them yeah I definitely will one day but uh, at this moment in time I need to look forward to the future and I need to look What's best for myself and best for Fleetwood and best for other team going forward now? The, the Never only mind I... about going back to to watch them. I mean, I know you're in your first job. You're no that long in your first job, but at some point in the future, would managing Celtic be a, a career <laughs> ambition? Or would it be an ambition? It's good to ask you. There's loads of ambitions. There's loads of ambitions, but I need to do a good job here before I do anything else. Uh, I'm still a young. Yeah, I'm still. Still a young manager. Uh, I need to make sure that I win some games here, or I'll not be managing anyone. Brittany, <laughs> the one reason that I, I was asking you if you you look back with a little bit of regret about leaving Celtic when you did is is with retrospect because of the job that Ange Postecoglou is doing there. I'm just wondering. I can imagine that you would you would have you would have been buzzing on that. You would have loved, I think, to be around that. So that's the the, the one thing. You know, when I say, you did, is there a little bit of regret that you never got to, you know, see that from behind the scenes as well? Because it looks interesting. As, a, as him as a manager and his coaching style and his philosophy, yes. But as in, did I know it was my time to leave Celtic? 100%. And I didn't want to stay there and people remember me for being slow, old and can't go out wide. He's just got to stay within a four-yard radius, even though I've done that half my career. But at least I was quick over that four yards. But it's not for me, and 
if people remember me, I want them to remember I had energy. I busted forward, I won trophies, I celebrated, I loved every single moment of it. And not being kind of like, not playing games, but just being there for the sake of it. Uh, it was never really going to be my cup of tea. And could I went on and continued playing after I left Aberdeen? 100%. I, I felt like I could probably play another season or maybe even two. But deep sea, as soon as you drop from Celtic, it's a huge... It's a huge drop. And the lower you go down in the league, the harder it was going to be for myself. And not not just as in like the quality, but people would expect me to do things that I maybe would have done when I was 25, 26 years old. They don't realise you're 36, 37. Push on, you can't run out wide and go and man mark somebody. Or you can't go and uh, jump out of the position. You become 36, it doesn't mean that you become a totally different player. I, I do what I do for a living. I sit in front of the back four. Uh, try to dictate play I move the ball quickly and don't t- don't take too many touches and as I say I try and give it to the more player players going forward and let them create Are you missing as it? As now, now that you've now that you've, t- you've jumped to the fence and you're the managerial yeah, side yeah. are you missing actually getting out there on the pitch? <laughs> to be fair I, I miss sitting in a change room with the lads getting ready to go out to training I, I love training I love working hard and that, that was a huge part of my day to day and I enjoy, I've always enjoyed keeping fit. But I, me and Wits have ended up playing Sunday League for one of the teams down here. Uh, an over 35s game, but it's amazing. We meet some great guys, they're the 50s and the 40s, and they look at us and they've been out the night before and they think, oh, no use to again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I feel young in that one, mate. I feel young in that one. I'm saying we'll need to come down and cover that. We'll give you a oh, 6 oh. out of 10 in the man by man markings. To be fair, Dave, that's the best you've ever gave me. <laughs> you had a career full of them. Well, fair point. <laughs> I see, see, talk, talking about training, I wanted to ask you just about, um, obviously, Son, Sean Dyche has just gone into Everton. First thing he's done is uh, banned these players from wearing snoods and hats at training. <laughs> I would imagine that, that he's cut for the same kind of cloth as yourself, as you know. Yeah, I'm sure a few of the lads wear snoods, but there's, there's not a lot of hats and gloves, really, that goes on, but... Uh, nah, I've got, to, I've got to be honest, I'm a, I'm a 2023 manager. Lads want to wear a, a wee snood and an underarmour. They, they don't have to follow me by example because I've played with a lot of guys that wore snoods, hats, gloves that were exceptional football players. So uh, you've got to let people be whatever they are these days. I remember covering a Champions League game. I think it was Rosenberg away, and it must have been about minus 15. Remember the match? I don't know. You, you were. You'd have been in, in, in the team. But I remember George Samaras came out and he, I think he had every bit of clothing for the hamper. <laughs> <laughs> but you must be pretty proud, Bruni, when you look. I, I, obviously, Kieran Tierney took your example and, and, and decided he was going to do the same thing. And it's actually, people kind of talk very fondly of that at Arsenal, the fact that here's this wee mad Scottish guy that no matter how cold it is, he's got the short sleeve T-shirt on for training, never wears gloves. You must you must be pretty happy that you've had a hand in that. I've had some sort of effect on him. Uh, I, it wasn't his a footballer effect; it was just his hard man effect that I had on him. So, so that that was a that, that was a bonus. No, but the wee man, the wee man's his own person, and he's not a follower. And he he, he done that before he played with first team and stuff. But and so, sometimes it's just what gets you going and. I felt like if I had too much clothes on and jumpers and that, 
that I couldn't get myself going and training. I needed to make myself warm no matter what. And it wasn't me trying to be hard in front of everybody. It's just what I had to do. And even as a young kid, I'm sure it was my mum. She chucked me in that room with no, no heating or no fire. So I had to deal with the cold and I deal with the cold quite well. So I, I'm pretty much blaming her. Uh, so you even, sure you've even grown going. hair now. I see you for, for scoping the manager. Soft, <laughs> What's that? I'm going soft in the old age. <laughs> exactly. I'm just showing everybody it's not midlife crisis. It's midlife crisis number two. But I'm thinking, Scott, there's a reason for this, and I've just called you Scott, which shows that it's working. Right? Bruni, <laughs> the player, I think that, you know, as, as David was saying earlier, that people have their own ideas, misconceptions about you. I think there's a bit of thought going into this where the growing of the hair is almost symbolic of, well, Bruni, the player, is, is over. This is, I'm now Scott Brown, the manager. Is, is, am I right in that? It's a fresh start, and I don't think in my first job I wanted to go in with a skinhead, starting to lose the plot at a lot of English lads, and then looking at me going, what are you saying? <laughs> so, no, but to be fair, it's more my kids. It was more my kids than anything. They wanted to see me were here. Uh, so during lockdown and stuff that I grew it and they started saying oh look dad you look better over here and now as soon as I finish playing I always say to them as soon as I finish playing I'll, I'll start growing my hair so you can see what it actually really looks like so it's on the kids <laughs> well listen it's, it's going well isn't it I mean got the hair and the hair's looking good <laughs> cheers mate <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the management you know this is unreal this FA Cup run I mean, when you started out this season, I'm sure you've got specific targets. I'm sure you've spoken to the directors about what you need to achieve in the league and all that. But to be sitting here 90 minutes away, potentially from the FA Cup quarterfinal at Fleetwood Town, this is unreal, mate. No, that's what the chairman says. He says he wants the quarterfinals. Or <laughs> <laughs> Nothing less. <laughs> he says he wants absolute football against company as well. That's 25 points clear of third place. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, we, like we sat down and I got on really well with the chairman. The chairman's been brilliant. He's backed us and he, he understands that we're young, we're a, we're a good club, but we're, we're still finding our feet as well. And yeah, we, league position not so good. And I we started off the season really well, but the last three games we've kind of dropped away a little bit. And now that it's about that bounce back ability as everyone talks about. And yeah, that league, uh, uh, sorry, the FA Cup there. Hopefully kicks us on now. We've got Charlton on Saturday and it's going to be another hard game as well, which every game is in this league. And there's a lot of big clubs that have came down from the Championship over the years that are still floating about League One that, that pay a lot of money. So we want to be one of these clubs that are punching above our weight and do we want to try and push them as far as we possibly can? Of course we do. Yeah, brilliant, mate. Listen, keep us both tickets for Wembley, would you? No worries, mate. I think it's... Is it Man U or Man City? I think, I think we'll probably have... <laughs> no, they're one of them. Brilliant, Scott, thanks very much. Been thanks for your brilliant. time, mate. Enjoyed no worries, that. Guys. Take care. Right. All the best. Catch All you, pal. Cheers. Bye bye.